We uh, are grateful for these opportunities, these God opportunities that you, you kind of dump in our lap. And when we sense that they're from you, we just want to say yes, and we want to go along, and we just trust that you'll, you'll help us and resource these things. And so we, we look to you, Lord, for your help. Thank you, Father, for your, your, uh, your work in our world and uh, your work in our lives, God. It, it, we'd be hooped without it. We sang this morning. We, we took the, the cup and the bread, reminding us of the great price that was paid, the great work of Christ on the cross that defeated our enemy, that, that provided a way of forgiveness for sin and uh, a way forward with you into hope. And so we press into that today. And uh, Lord, as you speak to us about this, this core, core part of our lives, would you uh, refresh us and re-envision us, God, I pray, and, and lead us into uh, the, the life you've called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're wrapping up our transformation series this morning. This is it. We've uh, looked at seven kind of core areas of our lives, and today we're going to finish up with I would say the area that consumes most of our time, for the most part. We call it work. Let me ask you, uh, first off, have you ever had a job you did not like? Anybody in a job you do not, not don't answer that one. Um, one study I looked at this week suggested that the single most impact, uh, important factor in life satisfaction is job satisfaction. How we feel about our work tends to be a a bigger predictor of life satisfaction than any other factor, than, than how we feel about our family, our leisure time, our health, our finances, or our social life. Our jobs are important. Um, another Gallup poll that uh, polled 250,000 people in 2014 uh, found that only 30% of employees were engaged and inspired in their work, meaning that 70% of us have kind of just mentally checked out in what we're doing. On top of that, there's been a dramatic increase in stress-related illnesses that come from having jobs that are high-demand, uh, tight-deadline kind of jobs, which are probably all the jobs that are left out there right now, right? Uh, people who are, happier with their, are happy with their work tend to be happier with their lives. People that are, are miserable with their work life tend to be more miserable in their lives. In fact, one study suggested that outside of our genes, outside of our genetics, job satisfaction is the number one predictor of how long we will live. So how many of you expect you're gonna, gonna die at any moment, you know? <laughs> our, uh, our work is incredibly, this is an you know, obvious fact, our work is incredibly important to us. And here's the thing, it's important to God. And God wants to, to resource this part of our life. He wants to transform our work. He wants it to be life-giving. He wants it to be a place of difference-making. And he wants it to be a place of growth for us and growth for the world. So to help us think about this, we're going to walk through what I'm going to call the Ten Commandments uh, of work. This is not the Ten Commandments, but this is asking of, of the question of what, what might God's ten instructions on work be like? I actually came up with about 32 and I, I've narrowed them down to 10, so this was some serious editing. But uh, we're going to look at these commandments, what they might be. First, instruction. Thou shalt thank God it's Monday. <laughs> why, why, sh why should we thank God for Monday? God invented Monday. <laughs> he did. God invented work. Uh, this is from Genesis 2. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In other words, the first person in the Bible to do any work was God. You know, when it says, in the beginning, he created, it means that in the beginning, God worked. And, and, and so, so God, we see him getting his hands dirty right from the beginning. Uh, this idea that, that God worked was actually unique in the worldview in, in ancient times to, to the people of Israel. Other religions taught that their gods, whoever they might be, uh, they, they had people, they created people to work for them so that the gods could, could sleep and play, right? And party. So, so Zeus didn't have a job, and, and Baal didn't have a job, and Moloch didn't have a job, but Yahweh, the God of Israel, had a job. The God of Israel was the only one who worked, and, and this had kind of huge implications and, and it still does. One scholar put it like this, Israel was virtually the only ancient people who, who viewed work as dignifying rather than demeaning. In, in Greece, for example, uh, folks who were tradespeople, who practiced trades, were slaves. And, and then in, there were actually Greek cities who, who passed laws prohibiting work, if you can imagine. The only people who were allowed to work were slaves, women, and foreigners. But Israel, they loved work. Um, there are something like 200 jobs or, or job titles, sort of occupations featured in the Bible. And every boy in Israel would learn a trade. Every, every girl would work. They didn't have this separation between work and home like, like we do today. Uh, we find the greatest leaders in, in scriptures held down significant occupations. You think Moses got his start as what? A shepherd, right? Uh, Peter was a fisherman. Matthew was a, a tax man. The apostle Paul made his way. He paid for his, his, his primary work, we'd call it, by being a tent maker. And Jesus was a carpenter. Um, the, the Greek word for carpenter in the New Testament is tekton. It can also mean that Jesus, some scholars suggest that, that he could have been a stonemason, or even a day laborer. And so Jesus, I have the sense that Jesus came from a, a wide experience when his kind of spiritual ministry came about. He'd already been working for 30 years doing all kinds, manner of jobs. No wonder so many of his, his teachings have such imagery that comes straight from the working world. And so God is a worker, and we are made in his image, so it's no surprise that, that we were made to work. Ephesians 2 said that that there are good works created in advance for each of us to do. So what do we mean by work? Well, one definition I like, John Ortberg came up with this, uh, work is the expenditure of energy for the creation of value. I like that. Let me repeat it. Work is the expenditure of energy for the creation of value. It's like you're adding value somehow to the world. doesn't matter what the job is. Someone described it as, I like this, Love made visible. You know, and, and, and when work done, is done right, work is love made visible. And, and we can do this whether we're a student, whether we're a stay-at-home mom, whether we're unemployed, whatever. We can all do this. We can, we can make love visible. We can expend energy for the creation of value. And, and so Scripture teaches us that, that work just has this immense immense purpose in it and value and dignity. 
And so even though I'd say we live in a thank God it's Friday kind of world, we can thank God it's Monday. And, and so let me, let me challenge you. Tomorrow, whether you are, are making major bucks or maybe you're making minimum bucks, minimum wage, whether you're a student or retired, uh, whether you have a, a great boss or you somehow are working for Attila the Hun, you know, we can, we can make love visible. We can wake up. And we, I, I challenge you to say this. Thank God it's Monday because we serve a Monday God. Amen? Secondly, thou shalt work as unto the Lord. Paul writes this to the church of Colossae. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Give it all as if you are working for Jesus. I I used to think this idea was kind of like a metaphor, you know, this, this working for God. But in Genesis, we're told the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. In that passage, what God did was he gave the human race dominion. He, he gave the, the human race a job. As we were talking about last week, he put us into management. <laughs> we're all, all managers. We're stewards. And, and so we're, we're called to, to take care of this work of creation care and, and shaping culture, making, making culture. Question for you this morning is, how many of you would work a little bit differently this week in your job if you knew that, that literally Jesus was your boss? I think a few of us probably. Here's the thing. Jesus is literally your boss. He is. He's being blessed and he's being served by my work and by your work. He really is. And our, our aim is to do the, the best work that we can. Uh, we want to be diligent, and we want to be creative, and we want to be focused, and, and we, want to be, uh, we want to take initiative. We want to do the best we can do because we work for Jesus. We work as unto the Lord. Therefore, number three, thou shalt remember the easy yoke. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Doesn't that describe a lot of people in the work world? Weary and burdened. And, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. Now, Jesus, as he often does, takes a, an image straight again from the, the working world, uh, the, the world of work, from the field of agriculture. An ox was a working animal. And uh, some of you would know that, that an ox, uh, when they were working, well, they'd be paired up in, in a yoke, right? And if they were to do that, there'd be how many? Two of them, right? Two oxen side by side. Um, the idea here is really never work alone. Always work with Jesus. I, I love these uh, words from Dallas Willard. He gets really, really practical on this stuff. He said, let's say I'm a plumber going to clean out someone's sewer. You stay attentive to what you're doing at the moment. You ask, how will I do this as Jesus would do this? He says, if you encounter difficulties with people you're serving or, or with a pipe, he says, you never, battle, you never fight that battle alone. You, you invoke the presence of God. You invite the presence of God. You expect to see something, that, see something happen that is not the result of you. The crucial thing is to be attentive to God's hand, not to get locked into thinking, it's me and this pipe. He says, never do that. 
What, what, what Dallas uh, Willard is describing is living in the kingdom of God, working in the kingdom of God. You know, having, this is having the kingdom of God invade the kingdom of plumbing or the kingdom of Facebook or the kingdom of, of, of healthcare or, or whatever. It's never just you and the pipe. It's never just you and the, you know, the, the, the computer. It's never just you and the, the financial statements. It's, it's never just you and the angry customer. It's, it's never just you and the broken down car. It's always you and Jesus. And you're praying, Jesus, how are we going to do this? You know, they, uh, they sometimes, I don't know if they still have this, where, you know, take your kid to work day. Yeah, anyone ever done that? It's kind of weird, really, having your kid bump around you and find out that, man, my dad has a really boring job. You know, you hate that. But we're, we're called to take Jesus with us to work every day. We're, we're meant to invite him into that place where we spend most of our time. We're, we're meant to do it not just for him. We do our work as unto the Lord. We're also called to do our work with him. And so we do what kind of Dallas Willard described. We, we, we look to him. We ask for help from him. We, we look to ho- for hope in him when we're facing things we don't know the answer to. I've got a, a really good friend that has a really complicated and stressful and hard job. And you know what I, I've seen in him? He, is, he has become a man of prayer. He says, i got to pray to make it through every single day at my work. It's just so hard. I don't know how I'm going to get through it without God. And it's amazing how God shows up in his job. And he has story after story after story of, of doing his work with Jesus. He's an inspiring guy to be around. It's always you and Jesus. Because, you know, um, somehow we have to take the stress of our lives, the stress and the burden and the worry and the pressure that we feel about work, and somehow Jesus invites us to come and to bring it to him, and he says it's an easy yoke. It's easier this way if you do it this way. And you know what I found? I don't know if you found this to be true. It's, it's not our work that has the power to crush us. It's the stress and pressure of our work that crushes us, isn't it? It really is. And so we work for Jesus. We also work with Jesus, and that's the third commandment, which leads us to the fourth. Thou shalt expect problems. Yes, we shall. Um, Here's a question I came across. Uh, Have you had one of those days when you're holding a stick and everybody looks like a pinata? Yeah. One of the things that uh, surprises us, I think, maybe even especially those, uh, I'll call them the millennials who maybe have never had a job before, and they get into the, the work world, and they find that work is hard. Work is difficult. And, and they, they can't believe how, how problem-filled work can be. I, I mean, work is, we, we don't expect work to be hard. Um, it's always hard. And part of that is, is all, it goes all back to Genesis chapter 3 and, and, and the fall when sin entered the, the picture uh, work, this, this good work that we were called to do in Genesis 1 and 2, it became twisted and marred and, and all messed up. We, we, we remember in Genesis 3.18, now the ground produces thorns and thistles, and you will eat by the sweat of your brow. Before the, the fall, work was no sweat, but now there's this dysfunction that uh, can turn work into what Genesis describes as painful toil. Now, there is hope. Let me just say this. Uh, Jesus, he promises he came, he, he died, he, he won a great victory over this curse. But 
and, and he does promise to, to restore all things, and we get to partner with him in that, that restoration project in our lifetime. We get to, to join him in, in his kingdom work here. But Jesus, in the midst of this, still says, in this world, you will have trouble. So this Monday, whatever you do, whether you volunteer, school, home, office, store, restaurant, wherever, Expect cranky customers and, and difficult coworkers and slow computers and bored students and challenging decisions and, and impossible complexity. We just got to expect it because this is what Jesus tells us to expect. I, I mean, in uh, Matthew 6, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble as its own. That's not my favorite line of Jesus's, by the, by the way. Each day will have enough trouble of its own. How much trouble? Enough trouble. Uh, each day, right? Enough trouble. Turn, turn to your neighbor and just say, uh, trouble, enough, trouble today, trouble tomorrow. You can count on it. You know what you count on, can count on for tomorrow? Trouble. <laughs> Jesus said at work is... Is, is full of problems. And there's this kind of idea out there that, that it, it ought to be this, this great place where I experience this, this self-fulfillment all the time and easy times and, and non-stop creativity and, and people are always slapping you on the back and you're doing high fives and, and saying, way to go! Uh-uh. That's why they call it work. Work is work. And so commandment five, thou shalt not miss the opportunity to grow. This is the, the silver lining, actually, of all our daily troubles, is they help us grow. And let me say this. Work is the, probably one of the best places to learn to grow. Um, Proverbs 13.10 says, Too much pride causes trouble. Be sensible and, and take advice. In other words, be humble and learn and, and, and grow. And, and work is such a great place to do this. Uh, I used to really like Peanuts, uh, the cartoon when I was a kid, and Lucy and all those guys. And in one of them, Lucy's saying, if she was in charge of the world, she would change everything. And, and Charlie Brown says, that, would, that wouldn't be easy. Where would you start? And Lucy looks directly at him and with no hesitation points her finger at him and says, I'd start with you. And each of us, we need to be changed. We, that's why we're doing this series. We need transformation. We need to grow. We, we have that vision to see each person grow fully, grow more into the, the person that Jesus has made us to be, who God created you to be. So we need to grow. We need to change. But you know what? Our, our primary place of growth, our, our primary, primary place of development, really, of spiritual growth, won't be at church. It, it won't be in our small group. It won't be in, in our, in our 15-minute devotional times in the morning. The primary places we grow spiritually will be in our relationships and will be in our work or in our school. That's the primary places. Uh, where do you learn patience? Not from a book. We learn it from broken copiers and frustrating computers. Anyone have a frustrating computer? There's other words we have for our computers, but uh, sometimes it feels like they're possessed and unending emails, and, and uh, we learn patience from, from difficult coworkers. Uh, where do we learn perseverance? Not from a sermon, 
but from, from changing a diaper and from learning to do homework well and from, from dealing with crying babies. Uh, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, uh, Dallas Willard uh, calls this, I like his phrase, job discipleship. <laughs> he says, one who does not know this way of job discipleship by experience cannot begin to imagine what release and help and joy there is in it. He says, if, if we, as some do, restrict our discipleship to special religious times, the majority of our waking hours will be isolated from the manifest presence of the kingdom of God in our lives. He says, do not find your job to be the primary place of discipleship, of the primary place where you're learning to follow Jesus, is to automatically exclude a major part, if not the most, of your waking hours from life with God. I love this line. The gospel turns your work into a spiritual formation training center. I suggest we need to look at our workplace as our training ground to to become a better person, to become the kind of person God wants us to be. Isn't that cool? Do you know what it requires? Uh, Humility, uh, a teachable spirit, uh, looking, looking for what God might want to do in your job, not just through you to help the world, but in you, in your job? I ask this question a lot whenever I get a chance to interview anyone. It's probably my favorite question. I I ask, what character trait is God forming in you right now? And and, and honestly, uh, the character trait that he might be forming in you, uh, I'm guessing that your work life might have something to do with it. That's where you're learning that trait. So how is he using our jobs to do that, to make us more like Jesus? So thou shalt not miss the opportunity to grow. Number six, thou shalt not make work thine idol. Now, if in the Old Testament, uh, if idols had names like Moloch and Baal, uh, if we were to name idols today where we live, they might be called success or achieve. For, For some people, maybe for most people, maybe for many, many of us, work becomes the center of our identity, and and we're trying to draw our very life from our job or from our career or, or from the recognition and, and success that comes from them. And this is important. If, if you love God, if you love, love Jesus, there are some priorities in your life. We kind of know this if you've been around for a while. At the top is God, you know. Uh, he's, he's number one. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind, strength, right? And there's no other gods before him. And then if you happen to be married, if you got married, you promised your love and devotion to another person. That's number two, and, and you've made that commitment. And then you move on to kids. Uh, if you have kids, then, then they're, you're, you're called to love your kids. I, I don't think we're actually called to love our, our job, but we are called to love our spouse, love the people in our lives, and love our children. And then work. And, and, and work is, is really good. It, it's important, but it's not God. Let me tell you just a little secret about work. It wants to be God. You know, it wants to be be on the top. If it isn't number four, it'll be number one. I know this from experience. I know this because I really, really struggle with this sin. I, I often find myself wrestling with this addiction to success and recognition and, and approval that comes from what I do. Um... And sometimes it, it, I, I know it's impacted my marriage, and it's impacted my kids. It's, uh, I know it's hurt my own soul. 
Uh, my wife sometimes uh, describes my job as my mistress. It's interesting, her calling the church a mistress. That's just wrong. Don't do that. But sometimes, if, I, if I'm honest, my job is my mistress. My job as a pastor sometimes comes before my relationship with God. My, my work is first. God is somewhere. My, my wife says, I don't know what number I'm at, but I'm not one, two, or three. That's what she said to me before. <laughs> Sorry about that. I laugh, but it's not funny. And so we know uh, that work is good, but we know also that it can become an idol. And, and this is, uh, folks, just as no, a no elbow point, don't be elbowing your neighbor right now. I, I'd encourage you to examine your own hearts. But if you suspect work or what you do is, is an idol in your life, start, start walking that out with God. I mean, invite Jesus into that discussion about your pro- life priorities. Where does your work fit? Is is it really number one? And, and maybe talk to someone about it. I, this is a the great kind of thing to, to wrestle with, that, to admit uh, in our, our small groups or, or with a Christian friend to, to say, I, I, think, I think I actually am a bit of a al- uh, workaholic. I think, I, I, quite honestly, work is number one in my life. And, and, and we need, to, we need to, to get accountable around this. We really do, folks. And, and, and this is one of the reasons we have regular discussions about where, where things are sitting in our lives, priority-wise, because I need that kind of accountability. Because when work is an idol, I, I'd say it's a lose-lose deal. Um, not only does it hurt others, I, I've seen families destroyed by work becoming an idol, but, but it also hurts us. When you make work your identity, it, if, if you're successful, it destroys you because it goes to your head. And if you're unsuccessful, it destroys you because you, it goes to your heart. Uh, it affects your, your sense of self-worth. If it, get ta- it gets taken away from you, it, it, it devastates you. As Timothy Keller says, work is a great thing when it is a servant instead of a lord. Now, the next commandment is a major antidote to this. This is important. So number seven, thou shalt not work 24-7. This one's huge. God... God knows how easy it is for us to worship work. And so what he did was he created a vehicle for disconnecting with our work. And it's just brilliant. It's called Sabbath. Uh, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Later on in Exodus it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. read this week of a photographer that was snapping photos of of first graders in an elementary school making small talk to, to keep the kids at ease. And he says, what are you going to be when you grow up? He asked the little girl. Tired, she said. <laughs> I think she was thinking of her parents. <laughs> what are you going to be when you grow up? Tired. Yeah, that's inspiring, isn't it? Some of us resemble that, don't we? We're just so dang tired. <laughs> People... And, and, and don't you feel like, like our work is never done? I mean, at the end of the day, there's just always that more to do. There's the, another email to answer. There's another text to respond to. There's another phone call to make. And, and there's just no such thing as, as downtime. I mean, people now, we, we check our, our emails in bed. I mean, we, we look at work texts at breakfast in the morning. Let me ask you, has anyone in, in your heart of hearts ever, ever secretly wished that emails had never been invented? Anybody? Oh, man. 
We, we live in a day where we're always plugged in, we're always on, we're always connected, and that is not God's plan. We are not machines. For God, there's this uh, daily rhythm. We, we see this played out in the creation story. At the end of every day, he'd review his work, and he'd celebrate. You'd hear him pause, and he'd say, this is good. And it was done for that day, and it went dark. <laughs> and it was like there was this daily finish line to God's creative work. And I wonder for each of us whether, especially in our day where, where we can carry around our devices everywhere we go, and we, we carry them home, we, we're carrying our work into our homes, I wonder if it'd be, be a helpful application, a helpful goal for you is to set a daily finish line. That, that moment where I'm not going to respond to any more emails, I'm not going to read any more work texts, I, I'm, I'm not going to make any more calls, and I'm just going to trust God. That might be the most helpful thing you do or, or think of as we consider an application point today. And then there's a weekly finish line that we see. Uh, God rested on the seventh day. It's called Sabbath, and we do it weekly. We take a day off, and on our Sabbath, we, we are with family, and we're with friends, and we, we be with God. We do what you love. Listen to, to great music and, and eat great food. Play frisbee or golf or hike or or do jigsaw puzzles. That's what I've, I've now started to do on my Sabbath days. I do jigsaw puzzles. It's a weird thing, but I love it. I go hiking, go to the ocean. Just don't work. For one day, don't work, don't, don't plan work, don't look at work, don't think about work, don't dream about work, don't, don't read about work, don't even, don't even say the word work on your Sabbath day. Amen? You could even turn your, your phone off for an entire day. I can see some of you just having the shakes, just even that, that thought. Just, what? What did he say? That's heresy. It could. It won't kill us. And, and I'm, I'm, boy, we're all wrestling with this. By doing this, we not only rest, which we need, our, this physical rest of just stepping out of the doing and the going and the, and the speed. Um, I, I, that's really important, the rest component, resting from our labor, and that's part of Sabbath. Uh, it, but also, I think, when we, we step out of work, we learn again the truth, I am not my job, my worth is not my, my work, uh, my life is not my resume, right? Thou shalt not work 24-7. Number eight, thou shalt remember thy mission. Work is mission. We already talked about this, how God gave us care and dominion of his good earth. We're to take care of it. And the good news of Jesus helps us realize that we don't just have a job. We don't just have a career, we have a calling, a calling by God. He sends us into our workplace. He, sends, he sent you into your particular work world, whether it be at home or, or in an actual job uh, that pays. He sends us into that in environment and with purpose. We're meant to, to be there and, and do all this good work for God's purpose. We, we're on a mission. And, and you know what? If we begin to see our work as mission, it has all kinds of impact. It affects us in all kinds of ways. It affects how we'll treat people. <laughs> you'll, you'll treat people really well. They're part of your mission is, is loving and respecting and, and treating people well. Uh, if, if, it, if you see your work as mission, it'll affect the quality of what you do. It, it'll affect our ethics. It'll affect what we will or won't do. It'll, it means we'll, we'll seek to be about justice and integrity and fairness in our, in our work lives. And, and in a lot of cases, I'd say for some of you, you've been placed in a position of influence for a reason. You can actually shape the culture of your work. You can actually take 
what may be an, an unjust company and, and, and move it in the direction of justice. Or you could take a, a toxic work environment and move it towards a, an affirming environment where people are actually valued. You may be in the position, if you're a manager, of, of actually shaping what your work world becomes like. I've seen janitors do this, who, who have walked through a, a, an environment with such joy, doing their, their job with such passion, that they've changed the ethos of the place just by their whistling. I suggest you can do that. I, I want to I give you a concrete picture of this this morning, and, and uh, I want to show you a, a kind of a short film of someone who's learned how to j- do their job this way. The film is produced by a, a group called DDOX, and it's actually funded by Dallas Willard's estate. He's been our themed theologian this morning. They're, they're filming stories of just everyday people who are seeking to bring God into their everyday lives. Uh, this, this particular one fel- uh, features a building contractor, a woman named Kimberly, who is living in Texas. Let's watch the screen. I own a design-intensive construction company, and most of our work focuses on older residential buildings, mostly from the 1920s in our neighborhood. There are properties that have been completely neglected for many, many years. We love this neighborhood, and where there's the potential to restore a house rather than tear it down, we're gonna pursue that. When I go to work each day, I just pray that God will help me to do my very best. The closer in relationship I am with God, the better able I am to be my best at work. How many, do you have your tape? Tell me how deep it is again, this wall. Ooh, ooh, that's tight. Did this wall get shorter? As the person in charge of the site, I want to exemplify high quality relationships. And I want to do excellent work. When I meet a new subcontractor at work, I want to be in an authentic relationship with that person. Hey, Ina. How are you? Good. Well, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Good. I don't see my very best friends as often as I see the people with whom I work on the job site. So I take those relationships very seriously. It looks great. Looks great. Thank you so much for doing that. There's a responsibility towards excellence because I wouldn't be comfortable putting myself out there as a Christian and doing shoddy work. You know, I was originally really hoping to get glass up here. How, how hard would that be? Well, I can get those out for sure. I've heard so many times from people who've said that they really could not stand their contractor by the time their construction project was completed. I certainly don't want to be that contractor. I want my work to be a reflection of my faith in God. We often get the message that in order to do godly work, we need to be 
pastors or evangelists or Sunday school teachers. I don't feel gifted to be a pastor, but I do feel strongly gifted to build homes, and I want to use that work to honor God. It's satisfying to have taken a property that was an eyesore and a problem within its community and to restore it. I built great relationships with my team and we did excellent work. We as people, as God's creations, are a reflection of Him. If our output to the world is, is our work, then we want it to continue that reflection. I believe this process is a high calling. Isn't that great? You know, think about it, when somebody begins viewing their work as, as mission, as their high calling, what do you get? You get restored homes and restored neighborhoods and people treated well. You get the glory of God. You know, all this from a contractor who had a passion and a gift and saw her work as, as mission. I'd say there's no telling what, what could happen if you begin to work, view your work as God's mission for you. So wrestle with that. What would that look like in your particular vocation, whatever you're called to right now? I'd encourage you to think about that. Final two commandments. Uh, these are important. We'll make it brief. Thou shalt remember those who cannot find work. Uh, one of my favorite films uh, is Shawshank Redemption. And uh, just a, a very, very telling story. One of the best scenes is where Andy and his uh, workmates, his inmate friends, are sitting on the rooftop of the roof they've just tarred. And they're drinking a, a beer as their reward in this prison. And one of the longtime inmates, uh, Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman, he's the voiceover for the entire film. This is what he says in this moment of, of kind of just experience this, this joy after their work. He says, we sat and we drank with the sun on our shoulders, and we felt like free men. We could have been tarring the roof of one of our houses. We felt like the lords of all creation. In, in, in prison, one of the losses that that inmates go through is the loss of meaningful work. And sometimes the, the way we learn about the value of work is by simply its absence. Uh, as a pastor, I regularly get to process with people what it's like to lose a job. It stinks. It's hard. I regularly get to, to talk with somebody who, who's experienced this chronic out of work. They, they, they've not been able to find work for a while or they've been thrown off by some disability in their life or they've been trained in, in one particular sector and somehow it feels like they've been made obsolete by computers or robots or something else. That's so difficult. And one of the most uh, challenging things about unemployment, be because God made us to work, is there can be this stigma attached to it. I mean, literally, people can feel shame about it. People experience rejection or this sense of, of them not being wanted. I, wa I want to say this morning, if you're here and you're looking for work, I... I I'm so glad you're here. You know, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on God. He is with you and he's for you. 
And, and, and as a church, we want to walk with you through this, and we will pray with you, and, and we just promise. Uh, we actually network some. I, we, we, we like, if we know somebody's out of work, we pray for you, and, and we keep our ears to the ground. And, and we've seen people find jobs in this church through other people who are looking to find workers. And so we'll, we'll do that as well. But we wanted to say you're not alone. We're in this together. Let me also say this. If you're in that season, and I know, I know some of you where being unemployed has been the most meaningful season of your entire life. You can learn things in those seasons where you are out of work that you might not work, learn on your job. And it, it, maybe for some it means an idol has been dethroned. You know, and, and God wants to just shake your life up a bit so you'll, you'll, you'll look up again and, and, and reestablish your priorities. It may be that just God wants you to rest. Uh, there's all kinds of things I've seen God teach people during that time, so look for the lessons in it. And, and, and folks, if you know somebody who's in that place, just love on them in all the ways you can. Pray for them. Journey with them. You, you, you know what to do, and I'd encourage you to do that. Don't let them feel ashamed or, or disappointed or alone in this. Last commandment, thou shall not retire. Did you know the word retire is not anywhere in the Bible? God the Father didn't retire in Genesis 2 after he'd finished his, his week of work. One time, uh, Jesus was criticized for working on the Sabbath, and this was his response. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, now someday you'll likely stop your present paid work. Some of you have already done that. I mean, do you think I'm going to still be doing this job when I'm 92 years old and drooling? I'm already starting to drool, some of you are thinking. No, I don't think so. But as a retiree, you can, you can volunteer, you can mentor, you can encourage, you can coach, you can do, do errands, you can pray. As, as someone once said, we've quoted this many times before, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. It's all about, folks, the, the whole deal is about joining God in his world, joining in his work. There's a reason we say, thank God, it's Monday. Because on, on Monday, we, we join God in this, in this project of establishing his kingdom in schools and workplaces and job sites and in homes. Imagine Hillside. Imagine our church being a workforce unleashed throughout our, our, the greater Tri-Cities area and beyond, imagine every week that you and I, we're making love visible through our work. We're adding value to our community. We're making a difference. We're, 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 we're teaching like Jesus would teach. We're accounting like Jesus would account. We're driving truck like Jesus would drive. And we know that there will be problems along the way. We, we do, and, and we'll get discouraged, and, and there'll be disappointments, and sometimes it'll just be plain hard, and so we come together for a couple hours a week to, to get reinvigorated and renewed and to, to reorientate ourselves and refuel ourselves in God. We do that, and then we wake up the next day, and then we go out again with, with power and spirit and love, and we say, thank God it's Monday. I'm going to invite Anina up. We're just going to close with Anina praying today. She's going to pray a prayer of blessing on our work world. So would you, let's stand together and bow our heads and we'll close in prayer.
Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I'm so glad that you don't leave stones unturned in our lives. And God, in this transformation series, thank you that this very important area of our work life, Lord, is now being uncovered. And I just have a sense that, that many of us have, have had different things uncovered all throughout this room. Lord, you expose our weaknesses so that you can bring your strength. And so I pray that in, for each one of us, God, that we would find a way to turn to you in the area of work. Lord, I thank you for the message we've heard this morning that we are never alone. And so I pray that we would not be alone in our work and that we would be aware that we're not alone. And that from that connection with you in our workplace, we would change the environment around us. Lord, give us the grace we need to help us do this. And I pray that each one of us would live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought was for you. May Jesus himself and God our Father, who reached out in love and surprised you with gifts of unending help and confidence, put a fresh heart in you, invigorating your work and your words. In his name, amen. God bless you as you go.